Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. wife and I, we just got back from a little week in San Diego, a little pastor's summit that was super fun, um, but uh, super excited what God's doing all over the planet. And uh, I know that a lot of times we can get overwhelmed with the things of the world and really a lot, a lot of times miss out on what God is like currently doing. And uh, so keep your eyes open. He's doing a lot more than you think. So anyway, uh, well, we're in the middle of this series called Reigning in Life, and uh, hopefully if you've been with us those last few weeks, you've been getting a lot out of it. Um, really, this, the, the phrase of this series comes from this verse we find in Romans 5, verse 17. It says, for if by the trespass of one man, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? the one man, Jesus Christ. And God desires for you, and He has made you, that through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you would reign in life. But it's not the reigning in life as the world would define it. It's not the always up and to the right, the pathway to success, uh, going from, uh, you know, rich, poor dad, rich dad. You know, that's not necessarily God's dream for you reigning in life. It is Jesus came and demonstrated what it means to reign in this life, reign over uh, his own humanity and reign over the enemy's schemes. And we've seen throughout kind of his ministry of how he not only uh, exemplifies the perfect man, but he also is pushing back against the forces of darkness that tend to invade. And... um, and so we've just been looking about how does God, how has God made us to reign in this life? How do we walk this out? And that's what this series is all about. So uh, before we kind of dive in, I just want to pray, uh, feel uh, just a little unsettled, and uh, just, yeah, let's look to Him to kind of still our hearts. Holy Spirit, we come before you to have your words speak to us, and Father, I pray that, Lord, we would just still our hearts, God, that we would block out any distractions or things of this world, and God, that you would bring our attention and our affection towards you, the one and only true King and Lord over this planet. So, Father, we just fix our attention and affections on you, and Father, we pray that your word would do its work and that it would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how do we reign in this life? Well, we decided to kind of start off with using the, the, um, the reality of what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that, that really in Christ you are not only a new creation, that the old is past and a new life has come, but that you are also in that moment, as God's redeemed son and daughter, you're brought into God's very own presence. And the way Paul described it is that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and and that's really a good foundation to kind of start off with, how do we reign in life? Well, really, we've got to understand the position 
by which we are in initially. Um, and so we looked at that. Ephesians 2.6 says, If he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with him. That you're a new creation. Now a part of God's redeemed family. You're chosen. You're adopted. You're set into a spiritual family to grow into the person and calling he's made you for. And in this position in Christ, he has given you and I everything that we need for life and godliness and to fight well in the spiritual battle that we're already a part of. And we look like, beginning last week, that God gives his people weapons to fight in this spiritual war. And God's mighty weapons to tear down the enemy's strongholds. And we look that God's living, life-giving word is really the only sword, the only offensive weapon God has given his people. This word affects the spiritual environment around you. When you can take God's word and appropriate it like we saw Jesus do in the wilderness with the enemy. Jesus didn't come up with some brand new revelation. He used God's already spoken word to use that as a sword to fight the enemy's temptation over his life. And so we handed out a little, a little dagger, a little starter kit last week. Hopefully you guys used that question. Uh, how many of you guys wielded that sword or used or appropriated God's word this last week? If you were here, raise your hand. Come on now. That's a little less. We can do better. Anyway, so last week we looked at, yeah, again, God's main spiritual weapon. But I want to say before we kind of dive into the next kind of tool and tools he gives us is this fact that all these mighty powerful weapons God gives and equips you with come out of your closeness with God. I'll say that again. All these mighty and powerful weapons God gives you and equips you with come out of your personal closeness with God. Communing with Him over His Word, there's no shortcuts, there's no fast tracks, there's, there's no back alley routes for you and Yahweh to becoming relationally close. And so this is where our love for the world is tested over... Our love for God and His kingdom is every day. You've been, you get, you're given a test. Are you going to honor God and care about God and serve Him? Or is it, you know, the fear of missing out of what's going on out in the world? And sometimes I feel like that FOMO for the world is all actually keeping fearing. Don't you fear missing out on what God is doing and saying? The one who created everything. And so it really becomes this, this recipe as a disciple of Jesus that, that, you're, that you're slowly and maybe as fast as you can replacing the things of the world that you rely on or your routines and replacing them with the things of God. For example, the average person, I would say, the average person wakes up like this. They're kind of, you know, they're kind of down in bed. You wake up. What's the first thing you do? Grab this, right? What's on? What's the weather? What am I looking at today? What do I got? I would highly suggest as a disciple of Jesus that this is not the first thing you pick up, but this is the first thing you pick up. So when you crack your dawn open, instead of looking at what the world is saying, how about what God's saying? 
And as you're eating breakfast, you're not looking over your phone, you're, you're digging into God's Word. And that as Jesus' disciple, that He's made you for this generation to exert yourself and flesh out who you are and your calling, that this process begins every day. It's a test. Am I going to value the world or am I going to value God? And this is the first test. When you wake up in the morning, who do you look to? What do you look to? I pray, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that it's to the King. And that you're getting synced up with who He is. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not a morning person. I wake up quite funky, quite in the flesh. I don't know about you. You probably guys wake up like angels. But for me, it takes me quite a bit to get in the Spirit with the living God. And it's replacing this with this. Simple action. Daily test. But it's also a daily win that you can get in the kingdom of God. A daily win. And this flowers out in your walk with Him to having an open dialogue with the Lord throughout your day. It isn't just kind of checking in and I just kind of say a quick little prayer or maybe I'm bringing my list to to God and all the lists that I need him to kind of get done, kind of like Santa. No, 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 this is about you walking with the living God and you learning how to walk with the living God. It's daily communing with him. It's growing. It's not an option for a disciple of Jesus. It's relying on him more and more. And this is what Paul was referring to at the end of Ephesians that we looked at last week. Kind of talked about the full armor of God, talking, look, looked at the defensive kind of pieces and the offensive piece. But then says verse, verse 17 says, put on as your helmet salvation. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray, verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Pray it? Wow, that's a tall ask, Paul. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Is that even possible? Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Man, that's like all the time. That's every day. That's when you're waking up. That's when you're in your car. That's when you're at your work. That's when you're in your board meetings. That's when you're driving home. That's when you're nurturing your most important people in your life in the evening. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. This daily communion with God has to get outside the box in which you've put God in and allow Him as you grow God, that throughout the day, God, I'm walking with you. You're not just walking with Him in your little quiet time with Him. You're walking with Him throughout the day, so why does, might as well just start talking to Him. And that's what really biblical prayer is, is you just relating to continually on an ongoing basis with the Father. Not only does walking with God as a disciple grow your communion connection with the living Almighty God, but it, it grows something else in you. And this is the, uh, the, the, the other tool, the next tool that I really wanted to kind of focus on. And we might take two weeks to really focus on this because I really feel like in the body of Christ, this is maybe one of the greatest things that we need. To use the tool, this, this specific tool that the Holy Spirit gives you at rebirth. When you're born again, this tool is laying inside of you. Now, for many, it remains dormant. 
and it doesn't get exercised, it doesn't get used. And the tool I'm referring to this morning is discernment, the gift of discernment. And God's people in this hour need the gift of discernment greater than maybe any other time in the last hundred years. And that leads to this portion of Scripture I feel God wants to highlight this morning. And we find this story in 2 Kings, verse 6, and it's the story, it may be familiar to you, but it's Elisha, the prophet of Israel, and his servant. But check out this story and see how wild what God does with Elisha and his servant. 2 Kings verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. So here's Israel's enemy, Aram, and they, they strategize of how they're going to attack Israel. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go to that place, for the Armenians are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. Wow. So every time the enemy makes a plan, God gives Elisha supernatural insight as to what that plan is going to be. And he gives the king of Israel heads up, hey, they're going to be over here. The king of Aram became very upset over this. I can't make a plan that this prophet of God won't hear in the spirit. I, I don't know what to do. So he became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which one of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plan? So he thinks it's somebody inside his own camp that's spilling the beans, right? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. Wow. Wow. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. Meaning, if we want to capture the, the people, we have to get the prophet out of the way. We have to get the one that's discerning out of the way for us to execute our plans on God's people. Enemies' plans don't change very much. Anyway, back to our story. And the report came back, Elisha's in Dothan. So they go find out where Elisha is. They find it's in Dothan. Not many, not many famous people came out of Dothan. Anyway, uh, so one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. It says, when the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The servant cried to Elisha. Elisha told him, this is where we want to, don't be afraid, for there is more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord. Open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside where around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. That God's angel armies had been already camped out around Elisha to protect Elisha. Elisha already saw that. When he woke up, that's what he was seeing 
when he cracked open his door. But that servant didn't see the spiritual realm. He wasn't seeing what was going on. And so all he could see was the natural enemy coming at them, and he's feeling severely overwhelmed. I don't know if you felt that way. But then here's Elisha, and he just prays. He doesn't give a servant a hard time for not seeing it. He just prays, Lord, open the servant's eyes to see what's going on. Elisha, enabled by the Spirit of God, saw and discerned the spiritual reality in this situation, and through his prayer, God allowed his servant to see it too. And this is what I think Paul was after when he was landing his letter in Ephesians, that God's sons and daughters would see that same spiritual battle that is waging over your life is the same as Elisha and his servant. The spiritual reality of this world has not changed. Modernization, technology, that hasn't done anything to the spiritual environment. It actually probably more empowered it. And that's what Paul was getting to, that they would see and fight, not people, but the powers and the principalities that were at work over their nation, over their city, over their family, over their life. And I just, this, I just wanted to kind of sidebar before we kind of, when we get into this realm of discernment, I, I really wanted to kind of camp in and just kind of lay out how the scriptures define the spiritual reality that we kind of find ourselves in. What's reality? Well, the Bible kind of lays it out for us. Really, there's kind of, there's, the Bible at least speaks of at least kind of three kind of dimensions or three heavens, if you will. In a sense, the first one is, uh, where's that slide? There we go. Physical realm. We've got a physical realm. That's you and I, material realm. Then we have a supernatural realm. And this is where, you know, angels, demons, this is, this is the spiritual realm. And then there's God's throne. This is delineated from the supernatural realm because God's throne is pure holy. There is no sin. There is no fallenness. But there is fallenness in the supernatural realm. All right, so here's kind of the basic setup of kind of God's reality. So sorry for the crudeness. You know, sometimes trying to uh, create an image of a spiritual reality. So I apologize for my, my lack of graphic skills. Okay? Um, okay, so if you give me grace on that, I think we can move forward. All right, so let's take you, or let's take an average person. Let's just take a regular person, and let's, let's just say this person finds themselves in a nation that honors uh, certain idols, that elevates certain value systems, certain idols, certain things our heart uh, gravitates to. And let's just say, uh, for, for, just for instance, let's say he's in a nation that honors money, pleasure, and power. Now, I don't know, this is a little bit of a stretch for us here in America, but just imagine if there were cultural idols like money, pleasure, and power. All right? So if, if there's cultural values and idols, they probably manifest in particular ways. So there's different values that kind of come out. So there's certain things that get championed in a culture like that. Comfort gets championed. How about success? The American dream, pleasure, you know, just any time. Any time you need pleasure, go get it. Leads to a lot of addiction. 
Or how about a pursuit of happiness? Pursuit of happiness, the fickleness of happiness that's based a lot of times based upon your circumstances, which a lot of times you don't have control over. Actually, most of the time, if not all, the time you don't have control over. Uh, if you're power, if you, there's power, there's a lot of division and confusion, a lot of control and manipulation, a lot of compromise. So a lot of those values have a lot of phrases attached to them. What are some of the phrases? Uh, you probably, oh gosh, sorry for the colorblind. Uh, but, um, you know, phrases like, you deserve it, upgrade it, you're behind in life. Well, that's a hot one. You're behind, you're behind the eight ball. How many 20-somethings live with that kind of like just perspective over their life every day? It's a fruit of living in this culture. Uh, how about no God, no hell, no rules? Like that. There's no truth but your truth. So now we're kind of in subjective land. Why? For power. Anyway. These also come through certain vehicles or certain uh, communication mechanisms. And so the values of money, pleasure, and power a lot of times get, get sifted to us through these kind of political parties, could be kind of social media, could be news. And a lot of these, these, these value systems are just continually piped every day, every day, every day. But what you as a follower of Jesus have to see that this isn't just the natural realm. This isn't just the physical realm. That this actually, this money, pleasure, and power actually comes from outside the physical realm. It comes from a supernatural realm. And that money, pleasure, and power, biblically, a lot of times those would be seen as idols or false idols over a nation. And so they aren't just money, pleasure, and power. They're supernatural forces. They're supernatural forces that empower these cultural values almost with supernatural life in our culture. Again, sorry for my graphic designing. I just... But it's, it's really, there's spiritual forces connected to porn. There's spiritual forces connected to political parties that make you blind to reality and make you saddle up with a, with a political movement that very little has anything lining up with the kingdom of God. And so you, as a follower of Jesus, have to see that when you're born again, you come in with all these attachments. You come in with all these kind of ways of thinking, and God is saying... You need, as a son and daughter of God, to put all that aside and take up God's word and let that rewrite your story. Let that give you the wisdom and the grace and the discernment of the Holy Spirit that you need. So, the fact is, is that you, when God says that you are seated with Christ in heavenly realms, meaning in your spirit, his spirit has authority and dominion over that supernatural realm. And so as a follower of Jesus, even though everyone around you might be affected by these fallen forces, Christ, through Paul, he's trying to remind you, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You need to live from that place, not this place. Amen? And that's why God's word is so powerful. And that's why the enemy blinds you to it almost every day. 
of how powerful this word is to offset the spirit of kingdom of darkness and to bring in God's kingdom into the here and now. Two scriptures I want to land. And we're, again, this, this, is just, this is a setup for kind of a more, we're going to go a little more in-depth in discernment and how do we walk with discernment as God's sons and daughters. But I'll just kind of land with, with this. Isaiah 59, 19 says this. It says that when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. It's a promise by God. Whenever a culture, come, the enemy comes in like a flood, what God does is he raises up a standard that stands in the middle of that storm that becomes a beacon to people caught in confusion and darkness around them. God raises up a standard to be the light to say Jesus is the only true way. If you want to be healed, if you want to be set free from these spiritual forces, Jesus is the only one that has authority to do that. And so I feel like God is raising up a standard in this generation. The question is, are you and I going to be a part of that standard that God is raising up? Or are we going to kind of diminish and give in to the ways of the world? actually change what God's word actually says to try to find some way to appease the culture around us. That's not God's way. Philippians 1.9, it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Because again, the more you see the spiritual battle, the more you realize it's not people. And you have a heart and compassion for people, God's creation, that is maybe suffering under darkness, suffering under an enemy attack. And here's Paul. It says, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with wisdom and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And that's, that's God's heart for us, is that we would... Be abounding in love and love more and more, seeing that, man, people suffer under these spiritual forces. So I'm not going to get mad at people. I'm going to be mad at these spiritual forces. Not only over your own life, but over the life of your family, over the life of your coworkers, over the life of the people, maybe in the grocery store. And you're just walking around, and as you're communing with the Lord, God may highlight this one person. So again, more about this discernment piece next week, but suffice it to say, let's ask God to open our eyes like he did Elisha's servant. That God would take us as his people and say, God, oh, remove the veil from my eyes. Let me see the spiritual battle that we are already engaged in. And I know what it feels like to be on the losing side of that battle. You and I know what it feels like to be in shame, to be in guilt, be in condemnation, to be in addiction, to be under darkness. We all know. But God is saying only through Christ can you live a life that reigns over the spiritual forces at play in this world. Amen? Amen. So let's pray that God, like that 
servant of Elijah, that he would open our eyes and God would just train us and equip us for this hour. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that we would truly live out our position in you. That, Lord, when you rescued and redeemed us, God, if there's anyone here that the Lord has not rescued and redeemed, I pray that today would be the day that you would surrender everything. Maybe he's been trying to get your attention for years, and you've just been stonewalling with pride and your own rebellion. But God, today he's saying, lay that pride and rebellion down and come before the Father who has life and life abundantly. Father, I pray that, God, if there's anyone here that needs you, that, God, right now, that they would surrender their life to you. God, I give you my whole life. God, I give you all my excuses. I give you all my sin. God, there's nothing inside of me that's worthy of redeeming. But, God, because you've reached out, you're choosing me. And, God, I pray that I would have the boldness to take up that call and lay my whole life down. God, here it is. There's nothing I'm holding back. I pray that you would adopt me into your family. I pray that you would raise me up as a son and daughter. Fill me with your spirit, God, and guide me by your word. But Father, for all of us, I pray that, Lord, you would open up our eyes. God, grow our discerning spirit within us. No matter where we're at, God, I pray that you would uh, create just a tremendous discernment and wisdom in your people. I was, I was just struck by Daniel. I was reading Daniel this week, and Daniel, it says that, just a little pause in prayer. Um, Daniel, Daniel was taken captive by Babylon, and he was brought into Babylon, and it says they schooled him in like all the ways of Babylon, all the ways of Babylon. And it says that Daniel and his three friends were smarter than all the other scholars. And I'm starting to realize, like, man, when a Babylonian system takes over, insanity takes over. Like, irrationality, non-reality starts taking over. And it's, and it's just amazing that God can, can put his word in people and that their wisdom will confound the wisest sages of the world. And I feel like there's the moment that God wants to raise up true, like true ambassadors that are equipped with his word and equipped with his spirit in maturity because that's what God needs us to be. Amen? So, Father, I pray that, Lord, uh, that like Daniel, God, that you would give us your wisdom and discernment and that, God, it would confound Babylon, that it would confound uh, the wisdom of this age and illuminate your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, with that, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper in discernment next week, but have a great week. Open your eyes. See those spiritual forces at play, and God is doing a lot more than you think. Amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.